Welcome to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. The podcast where we highlight stories of dads on the other side of divorce. To inspire and give strength to dads going through it. I'm Ben. And I'm Yoel. On this week's episode, we have Stephen Shear. He's a reporter for Reuters for over 26 years. He has two children and uh, he's a fascinating fellow. Uh, he's actually a, a good friend of mine. And I was really excited to get him on the podcast because he's got stories, you know, not related to his divorce about his 26 year um, journalist career and, and how he started as a guy in a little small town with nothing to do and made it to be the economic guy in all of Israel, reporting on all the startups, all the tech and visiting all of the offices, the industries, getting all the scoops before anybody else knows it. Um, you know, he's a humble guy. So pulling those stories out of him was not easy, but I think that he has a lot to, a lot of really cool stories he was able to share. Um, and, you know, beyond his wisdom and uh, his experience, uh, he, you know, he, he's a thoughtful guy. He even dropped a couple of books that uh, he was able to use to kind of let his kids know what uh, the divorce, what was going on. Um, and we'll put the links in below one about, you know, having two houses and another one about, you know, the kid not feeling like he caused the divorce. And that's really, really important. You know, I know for myself, my whole life, I thought I was the problem and I was only eight months old when my parents got divorced. So these, these books, you know, are really, really useful. And if you're able to use them, we highly suggest it. Um, Yoel, uh, you don't know him well, uh, so what, what did you get out of this episode from Steve? Yeah, well now, I, now I feel like I know him a little bit better, but it was interesting, like, you know, you're talking about him being humble, and I was going to say, like, don't let the fact that he looks so unassuming uh, to, you know, to, to fool you, because like, like you said, he's interviewed some really the, the top of the, the business world in Israel, not just the business world, prime ministers, as you'll see from the interview and you'll hear. And uh, so he's a really impressive person. And yeah, I, I actually jotted down some takeaways in terms of our, our audience and, and those, uh, you know, going through the divorce process or having gone through it. He has some real good gems. Like you said, he, he was so attentive that he even brought a couple of books for, for the audience, which is awesome. And we're going to link to that. Um, some takeaways that, you know, our audience could, could look out for during the interview. Uh, I mentioned this uh, in a previous podcast with, with, uh, with Jeremy that we did recently. Uh, he just talks about the fact, you know, I, I, he doesn't strike me, you know, him a little better than me, Ben. He doesn't strike me necessarily. And I could be wrong about this. He doesn't strike me as an overly emotional person, but yet again, here's another example of a man who was willing to share quite publicly on the podcast that he cried uh, regarding his, you know, over his divorce, he was willing to, to talk about that. Another example of a man being very sort of raw about how emotional the process can be, and that's totally okay to feel those feelings. Um, this is interesting in that he actually said that he was the one who initiated the divorce. So I think it's important for our audience to get that perspective as well. Uh, you know, we do talk a lot, Ben, about the fact that a lot, a lot of the cases uh, are, the divorces are initiated by uh, the wives, but in this case, as you can see, uh, you know, it was something that he said that was more sort of initiated by him, but he definitely still has that pain and he definitely still brings a lot of perspective. So I, I really like that. Um, some other things that, that I jotted down just about how his role, uh, you know, how important his children are to him. 
that they come first. I thought that was really amazing. He was willing to give up a meeting with, I think it was the prime minister. The, the, fi- the, the finance minister. The finance yeah. minister. Thank you. Yep. You've got a better, better memory than me. Any, either way, somebody really high up. And he gave that up because he has his, uh, you know, he had to pick up his son from school or he had to be home for his son. I thought that was great. He talked about the challenges that he faces, the fears that he had, the financial fears, and uh, the fact that he's persevered. And here he is today, still thriving in his career, thriving as a dad and thriving as a person. And there was so much more that we could have gotten into off off camera, off recording. We had so many other discussions and uh, we'll definitely have to get him back for a round two. Yep. And here we have Stephen Shear. On today's podcast, we have Stephen Shear. He was born in Queens, New York and raised on Long Island. He is a proud dad to a son, 10, and a daughter, almost 12. Stephen has been working as a journalist for the Reuters News Agency for the past 26 years. He is the head of economic and financial news in Israel. He is also an avid sports fan, especially the Islanders. Oh, wow. New York Islanders. The Islanders. Wow. A hockey fan. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm from Canada. I'm from Canada originally. So, uh, you know, Islanders fans and Toronto uh, Maple Leafs fans. I don't know, man. If I would have known before, Ben, I don't know if I would have uh, allowed you to invite Steve on. I know that. That's why I did not tell you <laughs> at all. But if you ever read his newsfeed, you would know that he is an avid Islanders fan. Hockey is all my right. favorite sport. And the Islanders, I grew up in the, the 80s when they were winning cups. Yeah. And oh my I, gosh, I'm, a devil, I'm a Devils fan. So. Oh, my goodness. I've... <laughs> We, we, we were going okay with the Islanders. Wait, but wait, Steve. So you grew when you when you grew up. It was like the Mike Bossy years, John Tanelli, those guys. Yes. yes Billy yes. was Billy Smith in net. The... He was the goalie. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Billy it was Smith. Man. A great, great team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first dynasty, and then the Edmonton Oilers took over. If I if I remember correctly from my uh, hockey training. Yeah. Nice. All right. Cool. All right. Very good. Look, I, I don't have much of a say. The Leafs, I don't think they've won a cup since 67. Uh, so, but they have, the uh, hall of, they have the Hall of Fame, so that's okay, right? That's right. We've got the, that's right. We've got the Hockey Hall of Fame, downtown Toronto. Anyway. <laughs> on my bucket list. <laughs> so, so, Steve, uh, what, can you tell us a little bit about your, your background, your family? Um, you know, what made you Steve? Well, maybe Steve, um, you know, I, 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 as a journalist, I'm not used to being on this side of the, the questioning, by the way. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, I grew up in a modern Orthodox community on Long Island uh, since I was five, six years old. Um, had a brother. And uh, we had a small group of friends and it was, I, I wanna, don't wanna say it's boring, but it was boring, you know? Uh, it was not exciting, I'm sorry to say. It's, uh, I did not have an exciting childhood. You know, I went to school, I had friends. You played play sports? I, um, I played what? Did you play sports? Yes, I played uh, Little League uh, for my school. Little League 
uh, team. Uh, for all who don't know, Ashul is a synagogue. Synagogue team. Um, I played on my high school softball team. I played on my high school hockey team, floor hockey team. So I'm not a very good athlete, but I'm an okay athlete. And sports is an outlet for me. So. Okay. Uh, and so you were in West Hempstead or Long Island for through high school? Through college, uh-huh. basically. Okay. And you majored in, in journalism or that came later? You wanted to be a, a, an Islanders? An Islander? Well, I would have loved to play for the Islanders, but I couldn't skate so well. And so basically, I. Um, I decided to, I wanted to be a sports writer. That's what I wanted to do. So when I started college, I went to Queens College and I was covering the lacrosse team, if I'm not mistaken, and the water polo team. They didn't have any good sports for me, but my father wanted me to go into computers or be an accountant like him. So I indulged and it wasn't for me. I ended up switching to Baruch College which is in Manhattan. Um, I tried computers again. That did not work for me. Um, eventually, I, I settled on journalism. I was good at it. I, I was a crappy student, but English and writing was my only talent. So I went with it. Nice. And where was your, your first job? Well, in journalism? Yeah. I was writing for a local weekly West Hempstead newspaper. I covered the West Hempstead High School football team and local basketball teams, high school basketball teams, briefly. My first professional job came right after college. I moved to Connecticut, Norwich, Connecticut, in a newspaper called the Norwich Bulletin. And I was covering business, uh, tourism, whatever, for a year and a half. I was very lucky. Mystic, Connecticut was nearby. It's beautiful up there, yeah. southeastern Connecticut. I was uh, at the opening of the, I think it's called the Foxwoods Casino. Mm-hmm. I was there opening night, covering it. It was, it was great. Awesome. You have any... How did Norwich compare to, to West Hempstead, to Long Island? I think that Norwich was, I, I, I remember my, my uh, interview when I went to Norwich. It was Lincoln's birthday. Back in the 90s, Lincoln's birthday was a holiday. <laughs> Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday. So I was driving around with the editor and I said, wow, this, this city really shuts down for Lincoln's birthday. He goes, no, this is the way it is all the time. It's very quiet. I lived there a year and a half. Met some nice people. Uh, it's a small city. And as far as uh, religious community, there really was a small one. Um, and I came back to New York every other weekend. But I, I, I got a good start in journalism. My 
the editors were very good to me. They didn't charge me for Jewish holidays. They were very, um, they were very good about it. They were good about it. So. And by then, Stephen, so just, just so I'm clear, you're, you had decided not to pursue the, the career in sports and you had merged into business writing by then? Was that sort of the, the idea? Business writing was a default because I couldn't be a sports writer because of Sabbath, Shabbat. It just mm. wasn't happening. And since I went to Baruch, which was a business-oriented school, and my major was business journalism. The newspaper in Connecticut said, oh, we need a business reporter. So Steve would be good. So it kind of fell into my lap. Business writing fell into my lap. So. Cool. And I find that business and, fine, and sports writing are very similar styles of writing. You know, there are rallies. You know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of sports in it. Yeah, we don't we don't like to get into <laughs> politics here, but ever since I was a kid, I used to say politics is just sports for adults. Um, <laughs> that could be. And, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you went from Norwich straight to Reuters. No, I had a three and a half year stop at Dow Jones um, in Jersey City. I was covering financial markets, mostly the bond market. It's very exciting stuff. Okay. Uh, they, they put me on the, the graveyard shift because they were upset. I didn't tell them I couldn't work mm-hmm. on Friday nights and Saturdays. So they banished me to the graveyard shift. <laughs> and how long did you last there? I lasted 16 months. And then they finally moved me to Dayside. Um, I was getting very good marks in my reviews and I ended up covering a little bit of the Federal Reserve so I got a chance to cover a little economic news and then when I had the opportunity to go to Reuters I took it. Nice. Do you have any like crazy stories covering all these these all this news all this time? Any famous people you met? Any politicians that were kind of wonky? I cover mostly business people. I've covered Federal Reserve people, Alan Greenspan, uh, Robert Rubin was Treasury Secretary at the time, Lloyd Benson was around. I mean, these are, you know, not exciting people, but good policymakers. And I'm sure I have a couple of stories. One of my favorites is Joe Lieberman, Mm -hmm. if you've heard of him. He's the senator, at the time, a junior senator from Connecticut, and he and I were became close uh-huh. because uh, anytime I needed something, uh, I would call him up, and he talked to me, and I I interviewed him in his office in Hartford once, and I asked him a very simple question, and he said no ever no one ever asked him this question. I said, how do you vote on Shabbat on Sabbath? And he goes, no one ever asked me that, and. Because you know, you always see Congress, you always see the they push the button. Mm-hmm. But he said in the Senate, it's a it's a yay nay. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about that. Oh. He was really interesting guy to talk to. And many years later, when John McCain was running for president, he was in Israel and 
they were at Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum, and he noticed me, and we were chatting a little bit. So I really like I like him a lot. He was always nice to me. So nice. who was your first like one-on-one -on -one big time sit down interview? One-on-one -on -one sit down. Wow. Well, Lieberman was one of them. I mean, in college, I worked for the school newspaper and I did a lot of stories with officials there, but that, that doesn't really count. Also, when I was in college, I was the sports director of our radio station. So I had press passes to all the sports team, nice. meaning I interviewed Wayne Gretzky and Patrick Ewing and Mario Lemieux oh. and Pete Sampras. And it was a lot of fun. Wow, did any awesome. yeah. did any of those um, I guess sports people you know you were so into sports did any of them like when you met them it was like now I understand why they're like the greatest or why they're the best is there any like quality when you met with them that that like stuck out it for as personalities yeah whatever the trait and personality when they well, walked into a room everybody just went ah. Uh, well, when Wayne Gretzky walked into a room, people were like, wow. But he was really, really uh, low-key. He was very low-key. Um, I, I do remember my first time I went to an Islander game. And I'm sorry I'm telling all these stories. My first time I covered an Islander game, um, they lost. And my first time I went over to the captain his name was brent sutter and he's like i'm not i'm not talking i'm not talking i'm like oh great but um the goalie kelly kelly rudy was like you can come over here don't worry about it we'll talk he was very nice to me but i learned a lot about journalism from covering all these sports um, teams games because i would watch the new york times reporter the daily news the post I'd watch them question the athletes right. and the coaches. And I was sitting with them and we would just talk. I, I talked to, um, I had phone numbers of all of the, the, the beat writers and they were always really helpful to me. It helped to me. That's great. So. Cool. Nice. So how do you, so just to jump, how do you get, so now you live in, you live in Israel. So what brought you, to Israel, like what, what's the sort of bridge from, you know, journalism and business in, in, in the, uh, I don't know if you said Connecticut in, in, in the States to bring you international uh, via Reuters to Israel. What's that process? So back in the mid nineties, I was working for Dow Jones and I was reading that Israel was becoming a high tech powerhouse. Remember, this goes back almost 30 years ago. Hmm. And I went to my boss and I said, hey, or at least the boss of the emerging markets division. And I said, are you thinking of opening an office in Israel? And they said, as a matter of fact, yes. And the person that we had thought was going to go and open the office in Jerusalem backed out. So would you like to go? I was like, great. Um, so I 
moved out of my apartment in, in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I ended up breaking up with someone. <laughs> and then and I had my tickets to come. And then the budget was cut. And that was it. No oh. Israel. Uh, it was kind of devastating. So six months later, the budget was renewed and they decided to go with someone else. So how did that feel? uh, I was very hurt. It was frustrating, which is the reason why I went to Reuters. And I told them in my interview that I want to eventually get to Reuters. Um, And they said, okay, we'll work on it. and it took me three years of Reuters, and I ended up getting transferred here. So it took me a, a little longer to get to Israel than I thought, but had, I got here. Had you visited Israel before? I spent um, my post-high school year here in yeshiva. And ever since then, it was your goal, <laughs> it was your goal to come back? Oh, no. No, no, no. After my yeshiva year, I said, I, I can't live here. It's so primitive. You're putting, <laughs> you're putting these asimoni and these little coins into the telephone. There was no sports. I had to listen to games on shortwave radio, armed forces radio. I'm dating myself. Yeah. And uh, this is pre-internet. I mean, even when I got to Israel in 2000, I was still using AOL dialogue. Yep. Remember AOL dialogue? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That was in 2000. Um, so, and I ended up getting here in, and I worked for three years and I didn't know if I wanted to stay. I had nothing to keep me here, but it was a rough time back in the States and I couldn't get a job back with Reuters there. So I stayed. It was a uh, crash. One of the crashes? It was one of the crashes. Yeah, I remember after the 2001. The tech bubble. Tech bubble. Yeah. So... But what, what changed your mind of not enjoying your, your year here and the primitiveness to Love to I'm going to Reuters and I'm going to Israel? Like what, what changed? What changed was, you know, the seven or eight years later when I was already established, Israel was more established. And Israel, they, they would have, it was a good story, like from a journalism perspective, covering Israel, high tech. Um, was, was very appealing to me. So you followed the story? I did follow the story. And, and did you come single? I came single. Yeah. I came very single. Um, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, very good. Um, and so I guess let's fast forward a little bit. So you've been at Reuters for how many years? Tw- 26 years. Wow. Um, this, this month. This month. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, and part of that journey, somewhere in there, you got married? Yeah, I got married in uh, 2009. Okay. And then you recently got divorced? I got divorced literally three weeks before the first lockdown, 2020, February 2020. Got it. Okay. And you've during that whole time, you remained working with Reuters, I guess? I did. They were great to me. Even before the lockdown, I was lucky to be able to work from home once in a while. 
you know, what do I need? I have a, I have a laptop. I can work from anywhere. Sure. Um, you know, I'd have a telephone. I can call people from anywhere. Um, so I obviously was working from home exclusively right. after COVID. <laughs> so. And did you take any, I guess, on new skills since the divorce? Kind of, you know, before you were driven by the story, driven by the news. Did you, did anything change after the divorce? Your priorities or, or how you worked or, you know, I know you like to take your son to his baseball games and stuff like that. It's one of my joys in life is to watch my son play baseball. Even on days that are not mine. Yeah. And you're, you're able to go and watch him play. I go as much as I can. Yeah. That's great. What, what position does he play? He plays every position. They, they rotate. They rotate. Yeah. Awesome. And does he, how, was your, is how he, was your son again? Just turned 10 two, three weeks ago. Oh, wow. And he's already playing baseball. This is a softball or a hardball? It's, no, it's Little League. It's baseball. Little League baseball. Wow. They don't have hockey uh, in, uh, here in Israel, do they? <laughs> Well, they, they do. They do. They do. Okay. They have all. They have a league. There are a few leagues. Do they? They play, yeah. play up in um, Natanya. Like um, a kids, like a kids league, or uh, no, 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 no. Adults. Adults. no Oh yeah, do. like the ice hockey. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's a Toronto yeah. uh, expatriate actually who uh, who runs it. Funny enough, Danny Spoda, good friend of mine. <laughs> But uh, but they don't they don't have like a little like a floor hockey league for you know for kids uh, your son's age or, or things like that right as far as I don't know. think so. Uh, cool. Okay, so so Maybe we got in the Russian baseball. communities. <laughs> <laughs> there there are some unofficial leagues of uh, roller hockey around. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um. So, okay. So. You know, part of this podcast is kind of understanding the process you went through uh, during the divorce and even after the divorce that, that kind of gave you, you know, that I'm still going to go through life. I still have to function. I still, you know, I need to be there for my kids. And we'd like to, you know, dive into that a little bit because there could be somebody listening that's about to go through it or thinking about going through it or, you know, just needs you know, to hear someone else's story and not everyone has a supportive community around them. And so we like to bring those stories uh, to them. Uh, so, you know, just starting from the beginning, is there, you know, when it happened, you know, even, you know, if it was your initiative or, or her initiative, there's still some sort of pain, and you know, waking up and realizing that, you're in the house alone half the time, or, you know, you need to figure out life from here, which is totally different than the life that you imagine. Um, how was that process for you? It was a, uh, it was a painful process in the beginning, especially because therapy didn't work. Um, between you two, between the two of us, uh, yeah. couples therapy. I was going to ask couples okay. therapy. Yeah, yeah. couples gotcha. therapy. Okay. It didn't work. Uh, getting to the point of getting divorced is tough. I mean, I didn't think I would when I was 
crying, handing my my ex the get the Jewish was, divorce. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was an emotional day. And for all those that don't know, um, the process is, it's, it's done technically to bring about emotion. And part of it is you have to take the divorce agreement, the Jewish divorce agreement, and actually have to place it in the hand of your wife. And that's the only way to officially uh, make that process happen and work. Continue. And then... So that I took a trip to the States and I came back and that night the lockdown happened. So everyone's lives would change together, but it was especially tough on, on me, on anybody who got divorced because you were basically on your own. When you didn't have the kids, you couldn't go anywhere. Right. Nothing was open. You were just couldn't see by yourself. Yeah. You couldn't. You couldn't go out with friends. You couldn't go for a drink. It was, uh, I didn't have any support system at all. You, you know, I, you know, there were those underground um, support groups that you talk about, but I wasn't a part of them at the time. And so that first year was, was not easy. Um, especially on Shabbat, when there was no synagogue, people weren't invited you, you literally were at home all day by yourself without, I wasn't using phones or computers. I, I understand truly how people, some people decided not to stay observant. I don't judge them. It's a matter of survival because I came this close to doing the same thing, you know? Uh, but I got through it. And then the vaccines came and then people started inviting again and it was a little bit better. And did you, did you seek help? Uh, I know you didn't have a big support system, but, and again, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but therapy or online therapy, Anything like that? I didn't. I was fairly okay. I didn't, it wasn't, it was, so I initiated. I was in a different place. Obviously, when you get to that point, it's totally different. But, I, you know, I, I had TV, I had work. So work um, was supportive. And I was working from home. And during the beginning of the Corona times, it was busy for journalists. Every day we were talking to Pfizer and we were talking to lots of different people and businesses and unemployment numbers. I was busy right. that whole first year. Um, and of course, the flip side is I was home and I got to spend a lot of time with my kids. Right. And that was amazing because for many years, my kids were more mother's kids, you know. I mean, I was a good father. Mm -hmm. I just, he was the primary caregiver and mm -hmm. 
I was always at work. Right. And that changed when Corona hit and I was home all the time. And I developed a very good relationship with my kids. Um, so? I, just spending a lot of time with them, you know, just spending a lot of time with them. That's really what it was. I spent time with them. We watched movies. We eventually went out. For, uh, we started traveling a little together. Just spending a lot of time together. Because when you're, you're the parent, you're the parent. You're, there's no one else there. It's, you've got to be responsible for them. At the time, they were two, three years younger. So they were younger. And I had to be there for them maybe much more. It gets overwhelming. Yeah. Because it's like a, a, a nothing, an all or nothing. Mm-hmm. On days when you have the kids, it's exhausting. Get them up in the morning, make their lunches. And then when you come home, you got to feed them, got to make them dinner, get them ready for bed, make sure they're ready for school the next day. It's exhausting. Was it, was it a big change for you to, to do all of those things? It was a very big change. It was a very big change. Because when you're married, you have someone to take some of those responsibilities and roles. When you're divorced, as you know, if you don't do it, no one does. So, what's your Steve? What's your what's your custody arrangement? Just so our audience half half 50 50. 50 so and, and I have my kids Wednesdays and Thursdays and every other weekend, and she has them every Monday and Tuesday. Got it. And then we split summers. Oh, yeah. Uh, Summers are split. And holidays are split as well. Got it. And did you find it, you know, because you mentioned that your, you know, your then wife at the time was more, you know, again, you you were always a great dad, as you said. Um, But, you know, there was maybe more of that sort of primary caregiving type of relationship with their mom. Uh, And, you know, I'm assuming that, you knew from the start that you wanted to have that joint custody 50 50 type of situation. Were you ever sort of, as you were going through the process of divorce, were you feeling scared or overwhelmed at the idea that exactly as as you were describing that, you know, once you do have that 50 50 time and you are the only caregiver when they're with you, that you've got to tend to all their needs and cooking and laundry. Was there a time where you were really kind of scared? Like, how am I going to do this? Not at that part. My biggest fear was, and this is why it took so long to get divorced, was trying to figure out how financially I was going to be able to live. I didn't really have a fear about taking care of my kids. I knew that wasn't going to be a problem, but just financially was, was the tougher part for me to get to the point where I knew I'd be able to support them and pay whatever I had to pay. Right. And, and clear. And, and again, not to get into your personal financial details or anything like that, but you're sitting here today with us and you look great and you know, you look like things are going smoothly. So again, just as a message for, for our audience, you know, despite those fears and those concerns here, you are persevering. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Um, it, it was a good decision. It's look, obviously getting divorced is not, an easy process. I was very fortunate. We had a 
pretty amicable divorce. Uh, we agreed on most everything. We purposely said, we're going to put the kids first. Doesn't matter. We're going to put the kids first. And that's how we, we proceeded. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's, and it's, and in terms of your relationship with the kids, and I, I know they were younger, um, you know, so maybe this is a bit more tricky or maybe not, but were, did you talk to them? Like as the process was happening, were you able to sort of sit down with them or it was more like they were younger and it was different in that sense? What happened was we didn't say anything for a while. Even when the divorce process started, we wanted to shield the kids as much as possible until the last minute. Um, so no, it's like, it took like three, four months of, of silence with the kids, which was not easy. It was not easy. Um, I was in the States and I knew that there might be an issue. So I bought two books that I read would be helpful. One of them, I brought them today, Two Homes. It's a very basic, simple book, you know, that's basically, my name is Alex. I have two homes. One is my mommy's, one is daddy's. My son took what we had told them extremely hard. He's a very sensitive child and he was distraught for a long time. He still, by the way, has not fully recovered. Mm. You know, he sometimes tells me from time to time he hates going back and forth from, you know, from, to our houses, even though it's not every other day. It's, it could be every five days, sometimes or every two days. It's not easy for him. Um, my daughter doesn't seem to it bother her, even though it might, but she doesn't express it. Um, so after he was distraught, I read him this book and he calmed down. And then I have a second book. Was it the chocolate pudding? Basically also about a boy who thinks that the fact that he put chocolate pudding on the wall led to his parents' divorce, Mm. uh, which was not the case. So I had to read both those books to them, and they basically calmed down after that. Thank wow. God. Thanks for bringing those books. That's amazing for, for our audience to see. Um, I, I, I don't know if, Ben, if you want to jump in. I, I just have another question. That, again, some of these, as Ben was saying before, if you don't feel comfortable answering, but um, you know, I know from my own perspective, I'll just say that a lot of times, you know, just moving away from the kids for a second and talking about my interactions with my ex-wife, uh, for all those uh, in the audience, obviously I'm a divorcee uh, myself as well, just to be clear about that. Um, similar arrangement to you, by the way, I have my kids on, on Wednesdays and Thursdays and every other weekend. Um, how do you, how do you, how are you able to deal? You know, I know a lot of men, I know for myself, for sure, sometimes interactions with my ex-wife can be very difficult and challenging. So again, if you're comfortable talking about that, just for our audience listening, do you ever find you know, still even years later, there's, there's challenging interactions. Uh, and if so, 
do you have sort of uh, any sort of advice for for people out there listening how to how to sort of handle that uh, you know given that it's been a few years uh, since your divorce one of the things that we didn't agree on was child raising obviously that happens in you know parents you know in families that are married one parent is always different than the other we mostly interact on whatsapp so almost every day we have a conversation on whatsapp about something with the kids um we both want this the same thing for our kids i'm not saying we agree on things but we do both want the best for the kids um like or, like yesterday we had a, a birthday party for my son. They started at her house with pizza making. And then they came over to my house afterwards for a movie. So, and cake. So we were able to split that up nicely. Hmm. Um, and both of us were able to experience the birthday party. That's nice. So you brought in, you know, books for the kids. I'm sorry. I, I, your book is very good too, by the way. <laughs> I read it to the kids. Awesome. <laughs> I'm patient. Trust me. I've read it to them a few times. I appreciate that. Um, but what about you? Did you lean on any books to get you through this period? Did you, like for myself, I, I'm not a reader. I'm a writer. Um, but I actually started reading because of those nights you talk about where there's no one around and there's nothing to do. And you just need to occupy your mind. Otherwise, you know, it's not great. I did read a book. I totally forgot the name of it. I got it on Amazon. It was basically how to deal with your ex. Um, how not to be angry all the time and, and how to try to work things out better. I, I honestly forgot the name of the book it's 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 on my nightside table my bedside table okay. it's still there um it, it tells you how to basically get through the the process mm -hmm. uh, it was very helpful um i'm not plugging it because i don't know the name it's but, okay but, you can tell us later <laughs> and we'll, we'll, yeah. fill it, we'll fill in the listeners okay the okay great um, it sounds like it's could be super useful to uh, it's a small book it's uh it's it's a small book so much nice and did you take anybody like new hobbies um i always like to bring up uh brad pitt that took up sculpting to keep his mind occupied i didn't take up any new hobbies uh, oh yeah i i joined home's place which is a gym um we can that tell. was interesting uh i tried to go as much as i could um until it got a little expensive last year but i did try to go going during covid was interesting because it was you had all these different rules mm -hmm. but um so that was one thing but otherwise i my life didn't totally change except i was had days with my kids mm -hmm. fully and days i didn't um i still was working right. thank god i mean i was blessed that I was able to work. So that took up most of my Did day. Did you dive in more with work than usual? It was very busy. We were really busy. 
um, covering COVID was was busy. You know, and I was the business reporter, so there were always business stories to write. Mm -hmm. The government was giving more money for this, and Pfizer was announcing this. So yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Pfizer, I think I remember you did a story where you actually went to go see these crazy freezers. I did. You, can you tell us a little about that? Because I, I always thought, hey, that's so cool. I know the guy who went to go see all the freezers when no one else had vaccines and you were able to come and check that out. So basically, there's a Teva Pharmaceuticals has a logistics center in Shoha. You can see it off of Route 6. If you're driving on Route 6, you see it. It's this massive thing. That's where they store all their medicines. In the basement of their of that building, they had about 12 or so freezers that were capable of handling the COVID vaccines of minus 70 degrees Celsius. That was what we needed. And by the way, a lot of countries didn't get the vaccines because they didn't have them. They didn't have these freezers. Israel was lucky. We got these vaccines. And you kind of just go into this building and it's, you go downstairs, and in the corner of the basement, you have like these 12 freezers. And that's where they were stored. And then next to them, there was the sorting. So they come in these big packages. And then you have to, they, they, they took them and they made them into smaller packages. And then they mm -hmm. sent them to all the, the health Clint. companies to distribute to the people. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Hmm. I don't know. I, part of me, when, when I was in middle school, I, there was this, I don't know, we had to do like a mock story and we had mock, like a mock election in school. And I was one of the kids that had a, a bunch, bunch of questions and the teachers were trying to push me to be a journalist. So like watching your career and, and you know, just, you know, to me, you're like, Steve, but uh you're like sitting with prime ministers and, and other ministers and, you know, getting into places that I wish I could get into. It's to me, it's just fascinating. And I know inside your head, there are some stories and some gems that I would love to hear. Now, how many, how many prime ministers have you sat with? Um, let's see. When I first got here, it was Edward Barak. And then it was Ariel Sharon. And during Ariel Sharon's time, Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, was the finance minister. Mm -hmm. And I spent uh, a lot of time talking to him. Uh, he would call a press conference all the time. <laughs> and <laughs> what would happen was, after the press conference was over, I'd want to ask him questions in English. Right. And he would be like, walk with me. So the, the, in the finance ministry, the, the room where they kept the press conferences was on one side of the hall and his office was all the way on the other side. Mm -hmm. So I'd have two, hall. three minutes of private time with him just to walk with him to his office. And he always, and I'm not being political here. I'm just saying this is a purely journalistic mm -hmm. thing. Sure. He always answered every one of my questions. Awesome. By the way, you know, just speaking of what Ben's saying, you know, in terms of meeting all these important people, have you ever found it 
tough to sort of juggle. Like, let's say you have a meeting or something comes up where you've got to meet, you know, somebody high up in finance or whatever the case may be, but you've also got to pick up your kids from school or something like, does that ever, does that conflict ever happen that you have to sort of resolve or you've got it kind of systematic at this point? My kids come first, believe it or not. Um, I believe, I believe it. <laughs> if I, sometimes when I want to interview, okay, good example, the finance minister, Victor Lieberman, they wanted to schedule an interview with me with him a few weeks ago. And they did it on a Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock. And I said, mm. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. Um, my kids are coming back to me. I need to find another time. And we did it the next morning in the morning. But uh, look, they're, they're now getting to the point, the age, the ages, where they're a little more self-sufficient. But I still feel that when they come home from school at 1.30, I need to be there or at least at some point, an hour or two later, I can't let them be on their own, you know, for five hours, you know. Mm. Uh, that's, that is the one thing that's the toughest thing, meals, getting them because they're picky eaters. Mm. <laughs> I totally relate to that. I, I totally relate. I know. I find that challenging too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I have to make them real a, a snack or a sandwich for lunch. Um, and then when they come home from school, they have to eat. And sometimes they bring home friends. So I have to find something for their friends. And then there's dinner. And I'm still trying to work. I, I was always the cook in my, uh, my marriage, most of, the, most of the time. But I find I do a lot more takeout than I used to. I'm not proud of it, but if I'm working until, you know, five, five 30, I don't always have time to start cooking, you know? Yes. So and speaking about cooking, we've actually uh, have been talking about maybe making a segment on cooking for dads. So everyone who's listening and watching, please let us know in the comments if that's something you'd like to see. Um, we do have a, I, another I friend. <laughs> we also have another friend that uh, actually wants to do that himself. Uh, so I thought about joining forces. So please let us know in the comments, uh, you know, our DMs and on social media. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback on that. I think a lot of dads can, uh, ten, can benefit from that, even if it's, you know, taking hot dogs and making them into uh, spaghetti monster hot dogs. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff you can do. Uh, just because you're in the kitchen doesn't mean it's got to be French toast or toast and an egg. French toast is great for leftover challah. Are you kidding me? That is one of my favorite things. That was, that was, I don't want to throw out the challah. Just make some French toast. Yeah, that was my Sunday mornings growing up. Yeah. My father in an apron and French toast with a side of non-kosher bacon. and. Uh, on <laughs> Sundays. I try, my kids love macaroni and cheese. Who doesn't, right? Um, and I found that they were eating those, those packages of Wacky Mac too much. Then so I said, I'm going to go out. The neon orange. 
The neon orange. Yes, the, and the other ones too. I decided I'm gonna start making my own macaroni and cheese. I bought cheddar cheese, I bought this and that. How'd it go? Day one. <laughs> it was came out good, yeah. but it's very involved. Mm -hmm. And they want the other, the box. So it's easy to make. <laughs> yeah. Like I take a but, break when they come home mm -hmm. from school and I'll make it. But have you taught them to make it? Because that's where the switch happens. And I know your kids are still young, but when you can switch and have those things in the house and you say, all right, you want it? It's yours. You make it. I'll teach you how to do it. And that is something that I'm going to do more in you know the very near future. I'm going to do that. It's uh, I think they need to know. My daughter knows how to bake. Mm -hmm. She bakes by her mother's house. Uh, she doesn't do much of that here by me. Right. Uh, so we'll get that. Look, I do make. They help me make a meatloaf. For some reason, I like meatloaf because it's you know it's meatball. You can you can use chopped meat. You could do anything with it. But they love meatloaf, and I you, buy. You are blessed. What? You're very blessed. They really do. Like, I will. I, I look. I do. I do try to cook as much as I could. If I can, if salmon is on sale, I'll buy a salmon. Put a little teriyaki sauce on it. Pop it into the oven for a half an hour, and they love that. Mm. So, meatloaf, meatballs, schnitzel. You know, I do try to feed them as best as I could. And fruits and veggies, are they, are they fruits and veggie eaters? They're so picky, oh my gosh. <laughs> so my daughter likes lettuce and cucumbers and avocado. My son will eat cucumbers, sometimes some carrots. They both don't like the same things, which is, makes it even tougher. Yeah. When the kids do not, right? Kids don't like the same yeah. things, right? Oh, forget it, yeah. Yeah. That's when you go to yeah. pizza. I wish my kids would eat eggs. Drives me crazy. They don't eat eggs. It would make my life a lot easier <laughs> for breakfast and things like that. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> don't like eggs. So I, I see you brought a lot of notes with you, which we appreciate. Is there anything on there that we didn't cover? My whole list. As, as a journalist, you, you came prepared. So Well, because I, it's an ADD thing. And, you know, I used to think <laughs> that it was not a good thing being ADD, you know, and you, all of a sudden your, your head's going in different directions. So every time a thought came into my head, I, I, I write it down because mm -hmm. I didn't want to forget it. Sure. Let but us in your head. I think, oh, I see this couple of things uh, that I wrote down some of the challenges of divorce. Look, I said, I do a good job, I think. I'm very hands-on. I have a great relationship with them. I speak to them every day, even when they're not with me. I tell them I love them. I think it's important. A couple of things are troublesome. Cleaning. <laughs> I don't have the energy sometimes to, to, to clean properly. And it's really frustrating to me because I want people to come into my home and I just, I look at my place and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. It's, mm. I didn't have, for a while, I couldn't afford a cleaning person. Mm -hmm. Now, once in a while, someone does come in, helps do with the, the floors and the kitchen cabinets, 
sinks and the bathrooms. So that's a little better, but I have a lot of clutter. I want to get rid of, I'm just tired. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, cleaning, I, I don't know about you, Yoel, but you know, to me, I have a, like a priority list and like, you know, making sure my kids know how to take care of themselves, know how to bathe themselves, know how to get ready for school, know how to get ready for the next day, know how to cook, know how to, you know, prepare um, and then have some downtime is more important than, you know, staying on top of them to clean this, clean that, you know, building a little bit and giving little, little uh, jobs, I guess. So one of my daughters, she's the folding daughter. Mm. And I have five kids, so I'm cheating. Um, but one of them is, is the folding kid. Um, another one is the cooking kid. Another one is the, you know, the garbage taking out kid. So like I've kind of split up. One of them is a sweeping kid. And then the, my son, he's the, I'll pick it up all off the ground if you just put it in a pile for me. Um, so I, you know, doing it a lot of teamwork, but like, I never, it was never for me, it's kind of, you can decide what's going to be your stress point. And so I have all those other things in mind that I kind of pushed away, you know, having a spick and span house. Um, you know, it's like when you have little kids in the house, like every, you clean up and two seconds later, I remember when my daughter was young, we had like this bookcase and my her mother put all the books on the shelf by baby books, bigger books, English books, other books, and the whole thing. And 30 minutes later, my daughter went over to it and pulled out every single book and made a pile a mile high. And it, it was devastating to her. And I just laughed because it was like, She's just a kid. You, you can't expect the house to be perfect when there's kids in the house. So, you know, when the kids are, you know, hopefully out of the house at some point or not, you know, it'll be grandkids. Uh, to me, a house that's perfect, mint, and there's not a spot around it, it's just not a house to live in. It's a house to go to, but not to live in. So, you know, that's yeah. kind of my perspective. I don't know if it helps you or not, but every time we talk and you're like, oh, I don't want you to come over. Steve, I've got five kids. Don't worry about it. Uh, um, so that's kind of my perspective on it. Um, so I try to limit the things that drive me crazy, I guess is the easiest way to put right. it. Well, I have two things going. Go ahead. I have two things going against me. One, I'm a procrastinator. Two, I'm not a knee freak. And actually, the third thing is the ADD. So it's, it's, you said about priorities and, and unfortunately cleaning is not a high priority. I grew up in a house where my mother was a, like a religious cleaning nut. And she would <laughs> constantly yell at me for cleaning, not cleaning my room and keep it clean. And it was very traumatic right. at times. Um, and I'm not like that. Mm -hmm. So the cleanliness part, is takes backseat. Look, I've been trying to convert my my one of my rooms right. into my office because I wanted to split my kid, my son and my daughter into separate bedrooms. And my that room, which is supposed to be on my office, is a storage room. Right. And I'm sitting there working on my dining room table in the living room, dining room. 
it's not good because my kids come in, they come out. It's hard to work that way. And I've been trying to do this for two years right. and I keep on putting it off and I keep putting it off and putting it off. So that's a little frustrating. It just, at the end of the day, you know, when you have the kids, especially, you know, I'm working, I'm getting money for dinner. They go to basketball or baseball. They come home at seven o'clock. We eat. Now their bedtime is later, like eight, nine o'clock. And by the time they're in bed sleeping, it's like after nine, I'm exhausted. Right. I, I, mm. I just wanted to sit down and watch TV. That's what I want to do. I like TV. I like my shows. And that's what I want to do. And I don't know if you're like me, like on those other days when they're not with me, I'm trying to work from like as soon as I wake up till after I should be sleeping because I need to get in as much work as I possibly can so that I can have that extra time with them right. on those other days. So to me, that's, a, you know, it's a, it's a decision. Um, but uh, again, I'm here to help. And Thank uh, you. My, my services are always available uh, to help you. And we'll get there because I know this is on your list, even though it's being pushed off. I know it's something you want to do and it's important to you. And I think it'll clear your head also. Um, so you can do other things. Right. I'm very lucky that I do have a relatively nine to five job, not fully nine to five, but I have a generally, I used to be, I have to work later when I had um, a different shift, but now I'm ending around five. Obviously news breaks in the evening and at night, I have to do it, but that's not every night. So what else you got? Um, you know, dealing with my, my ex lives around the corner and she's part of the same social circle. So it's complicated sometimes dealing with friends who know both of us and are friends with both of us. Um, I once had a friend who's he didn't do it on purpose, but he would just blabber, oh, where I'm going, you know, in front of her. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that was something that she needed to know. Not, I wasn't, it wasn't anything illegal. It wasn't thing I didn't, she didn't have to not know. Yeah. I just, her life is her life. My life is my life. We don't need to know what's going on in each other's life. So I got really upset. So dealing with friend, you know, mutual friends, I find, to be very difficult. I don't know if you find it difficult, but I find it difficult. Do, do, you, do you, sorry, Ben, no, I, this, this is a topic that really speaks to me. I mean, I could go on for hours and hours uh, as, as Ben knows, but I'll try and be brief. But did you find that you lost um, you know, a lot of in the divorce process? I mean, it's kind of almost cliche, you know, where people are choosing sides or whatever. Um, but in my experience, uh, I, I, I feel anyways, that a, a painful part of the divorce was really, it wasn't just a divorce of uh, my ex-wife, it was also a divorce of her family, and, and also very much it spilled into friends. Did you find that, that it, it kind of affected your, your friendships, just because you're speaking about mutual friends? No, not really. I hmm. no, None of my friends really chose. They just chose to remain friends with us separately. Uh, as a matter of fact, 
I'm still on very good terms with her family. Mm. Um, yeah, I know it sounds odd, but not my we, experience. <laughs> no, it's a it's odd. Yeah, I I uh, I still get along very much with her parents and her sister and brother and families. So um, wow. yeah, so but friends for the most part they. You know, I didn't don't think I lost any friends because of it. So you're talking you more able am to amongst the, the divorce circles where it gets tricky. It's more tricky when you're dealing with women than men, because they obviously will want to spend more time with her. So I'm not as friendly with some of my female friends as I used to be. Which is it's okay, yeah. Um, I did so. I did start my own. It's not really a, an Anglo. It's not, that's not really a support group. Uh, a guy's WhatsApp group for divorced uh, people. Um, you know, most of the time it's a lot of jokes and things like that. But we sometimes we have a, a serious conversation. There's what were twenty five, thirty people, and it keeps growing. Um, you know, people have questions they could ask. But how does that work with the mutual? Again, I'm, I'm really interested in this because to me, it really is something, it's so different than my experience. How, how, when you have mutual friends, but, but it sounds like you are keeping it separate in a certain sense. Like if somebody makes a party or somebody, like, how does that work? I mean, are they going to invite one or the other or will you both go to the same party and be totally okay with that? Like, how does that work in actuality? I'm, I'm curious. It's in the beginning, it was not easy. We had agreed we wouldn't go to the same parties. But because I have my kids on Thursday night, she doesn't. She gets to go all the good parties. So oh, yeah. I got to the point where I said, I'm just going to go. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to go. And then we agreed that we sometimes see each other at the same parties. It's a little awkward, but we do go. And I don't always stay the whole time. I come later. If it's in Modian, I'll pop out like after the kids are, you know, uh, in, in bed or sleeping. And if it's out of Modian, like a wedding or something like that, then I either get a babysitter. Well, I usually get a babysitter. <laughs> That's it. Mm. <laughs> I don't like to, but I do. Right. Yeah, I, I, I just wish I could sometimes, you know, when I, it's interesting because, you know, I, I think you would, I, I'm assuming everybody here would has have heard situations where people unfortunately feel like they have to choose or, or sort of make these decisions, which is fine. I mean, if that's what they decide, but sometimes I want to tell people like, you don't have to like choose, you know, you could invite both of us to your wedding you know like we we are capable of being in the same room together you know so that's been you know if i could share uh you know th that's been a struggle of mine just to sort of accept the fact that i guess people don't know what to do you know i, I try and really understand from their perspective they don't know how to handle it um but as you're showing you know we are capable of uh, of being together in the same room or even going to the same party even if it may be a bit awkward in, in the beginning. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you're sharing that with our audience. Well, it does bother me because being part of so many divorce groups, 
you see some really bitter divorces. Um, and that, it, it breaks my heart. It really does. But both sides, you know, on, you know, where the exes just can't get along, they want revenge. I, I think it hurts the kids, personally. And um, mm. that's the, one of the reasons why I, we have our agreement the way we did, you know, to protect the kids, keep them. Mm. I, it's bad enough for the kids that I have to go through this, even in a good divorce. I see with my kids, they, we both love them. They both spend a lot of time with us, but I can see it's not an easy thing going back and forth, but adding the mommy and daddy hate each other and are fighting all the time, even after divorce, kids are going to be in therapy their whole, their whole life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, I, I think that's why there's kind of a golden rule in these underground groups that whoever gets in the group first, the other one isn't allowed. Um, not so there isn't, you know, having to choose or having having drama inside those groups. There are there are exceptions, um, but that's kind of like the golden rule. Right. Which also makes it into a competition, which is not great. <laughs> whoever gets in there first. But yeah, that's true. And anything else on that list? No, I, you know, you talk about being a dad and I want, I love being a dad. That's really what I wrote down. I love being a dad. I was very close to my dad. Hmm. Um, I miss my dad a you lot. Wanna, you want to say, say anything about your dad? Okay. He was a great dad. I didn't fully appreciate him until almost till he was gone mm -hmm. six years ago. And it's kind of sad. I have a lot of questions. I realized he, he was fair. Like you, you have different kids with different personalities and you have to treat them differently because they, they have different yeah. personalities. Yeah. You know, what works for one doesn't always work for the other, even though the other kids don't always agree with it. Right. And you have to do what you need to do. Um, and he was great at that. And uh, I miss it. I have so many questions for him. Look, it took me a long time to be a dad. You know, I got married late. I used to go to like hotels for the weekends with married friends. And I just watch parents with their kids in the swimming pool. And I got so jealous. I was like, oh. Can't wait to be a dad. Can't wait yeah. to be a dad. You know, Father's Day to me is more important than my birthday. Right. I love being a dad. Yeah. You know. Um, do you have any? Do you have a story about your father and you that you like to share? A story, like one memory. But no. Memory of my dad. God, you know, he was always there for me. You know, one night. I, I could always call him anytime. I remember on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, I, I went out, I came back. I was coming home at two o'clock in the morning and the car got stuck on the highway. And it's like, I called him. He comes to pick me up. I mean, he was always, always there for me. Always there for me. I mean, always there for me. 
you know. And I was not an easy child. I was not an easy child. Can't but, imagine. But can't imagine. <laughs> um, he used to say, "Can't wait till you're a father." I hope you have a a kid like you are. <laughs> uh, my daughter is sort of getting there, but you know, I hope not to the extent that I was. You know. Nice. Sounds like a sweet man. He really was. He uh, left this earth too soon. So. Mm. so I don't want to get too sappy. That's okay. Well. You know, we always like to, to end the, the podcast with some kind of advice for guys that are going through it. Um, and, you know, something to just some thought that kind of you had in your mind when you were going through the whole process, you know, the idea of valleys and then, you know, mountaintops. So we're talking, you know, our target is more the people that are in the valley or about to enter the valley and you're you're more or less getting to that that other mountaintop so looking back what advice would you give yourself back then looking back i do believe and i don't know if i said it before but yeah it was towards the end it was very bad you don't think there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel you really don't um it's your whole life is is coming crashing in you don't know how you're going to be able to support yourself your kids it's and how you're going to live and after i finished crying giving the get you know you kind of feel like a relief you know like you could start again because you really are starting a little bit over again you, you've got to do things that you didn't think you'd had to do. Look, if you don't cook, you got to learn how to cook, yeah. probably. You know, you got to learn how to do laundries. You got to learn how to make lunches. One of the toughest things, and I haven't done it yet, is do my daughter's hair. I don't know how to do my daughter's hair. She comes, <laughs> she comes from my, her mother's house looking so nice. Yeah. And for me, Here's I don't know how to do her hair. Here, here's a ponytail. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a cuckoo. Yeah. Here you go. You know? <laughs> I don't think, That's right. I, I, I get lucky. I have, I have older daughters that help the, my younger daughters. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But uh, once I got through COVID, and, I, and COVID was actually a blessing for me. I really do. I got a chance, even though it was not easy from a social standpoint, it helped me with my relationship with my kids because we get to spend a lot of time together. And my son, who was a very much a mama's boy, now is now 50-50, I guess you could say. We bond over sports, baseball, our love of Star Wars and Marvel movies. Um, we, we, you know, I, we, we have a great relationship now. I have a great relationship with both my kids, better than I ever had. So. By the way, Steve, sorry, sorry to interrupt with Star Wars. I just started watching that with my 10-year-old, which I did with my oldest son, I think probably around the same age. So we've got that in common as well. Just started Star Wars with him. Anyway, Oh, that's on. really great. Started. You have yeah, to watch yeah. it four, five, six, then yes. one, two, three. 
Yes. I, I, then, I was thinking yeah. like, what's the, what's the best order? Like, should I start it from the first one? I was like, no, I've got to go in the same order in which Lucas put them out. So uh, amazing. Anyway. Yeah. We're, we're making our way through four. The problem is I can't watch it with him when my younger daughter who's eight is around because she doesn't want to watch it. So we uh, have to kind of carve out time anyway. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> no, you're right. That's tough. Um, when the kids, they don't want to watch the same movies anymore. Oh, I, I have yeah. a, I have a second TV. So my daughter just doesn't want to watch. She can watch some more, something else. I'm okay with that. Nice. nice. It's, it hurts a little bit, but not too bad. <laughs> so the, the, to bring it all together, yeah. it, it, it's, it, it's good. You know, you, you, you are relieved. You're, it was a weight lifter off your shoulder and things might financially be tough, but you're happier, hopefully. I am. And looking forward, are there any, any big plans you have? I, I, I'm pushing you to write a book about all your crazy stories, Ugh. but are there any big plans or, or anything you want to plug or, or your socials so people can follow you? I know, you know on Twitter, you have, you have a pretty significant following. People can follow me on Twitter. I don't have a lot of Twitter followers. It's Stephen M. Shear. And maybe I have like six, 700 people. I mostly tweet my articles or other people's business articles. But I also do the, the Jets and the Islanders and the Yankees and the Nets. So, awesome. you know, I got, I got the sports and I got the business, the Israel business. So. Amazing. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming. We, uh, we really appreciate it. You're welcome. And uh, I think you dropped a bunch of wisdom here that, that are going to help a lot of people. Um, and really, I, I hope you enjoy this side of the interview uh, a lot more because I think, I think there's a lot of gems in there um, and a lot of stories that need to come out. That's, uh, that's uh, 26 years of journalism. And you've got stories to tell. And uh, I, I hope you put them together so people can people can hear um, even, you know, the Middle East uh, piece of it, which a lot of people don't get to see the behind the scenes. And like you said, you've had tons of hallway walks with high politicians. And I think it could be something that everybody would enjoy. Thank you. I didn't even get into my covering uh, suicide bombings and the Gaza pullout. Next, we'll, we'll save it for the next. Yeah, that time. Happy but I do appreciate you guys. Right. What? I said that will be round two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll get you back for another. Although but it's I, not a political show, as Ben said. No, no, we'll no, no, for... no, no, no. <laughs> but I do appreciate you guys for doing this podcast. It's it's long overdue for for dads. Uh, you know. And on that note, if anybody wants to follow us, uh, two dad to quit dot uh, com, two dad to quit on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, and we're looking to share your stories. And please reach out to us if share it with your friends, you know, somebody who has a story to share. We're just looking to inspire those guys that are going through it and, and dads that are going through breakups, divorce, uh, and it's, it's a rough time. And, and the support is really, really important. And uh, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thanks a ton, well, Stephen. Really, well, was, thank uh, you it both. was amazing. Thank you both. Yeah. Thank and for you. all those who uh, have listened until now, thank you. Uh, drop a comment. Uh, too dad to quit so we know that you made it all the way through and you did not quit and we'll see you next week thank you for listening to the too dad to quit podcast
Available at www.truedadtoquit.com. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.